Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I hope you've had a good weekend, but I hope you're ready to dive straight back in to some Everton chat because it's a busy week for the Blues yet again this week and I've got the perfect panel of guests to talk about it all. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Dave Prentice, Connor O'Neill and Chris Beasley where we'll look back on Everton's FA Cup win over Rotherham. Uh, we'll dissect all the little minutiae of that game. And uh, we'll look ahead to an important match for the Blues in the Premier League as well on Tuesday, where uh, Everton will be travelling to Molyneux to take on Wolverhampton Wanderers. But, Dave, I wanted to start with the FA Cup, but not with Everton. Marine, <laughs> last night against Spurs in what I think is one of the most, one of the most mad games I've ever watched. To be to be quite frank, just to to see the sheer difference in quality between those two teams on the pitch was was absolutely bizarre. But Marine gave a really good account of themselves, really, didn't they? Oh, absolutely! It, it's the game I, I was arguably most looking forward to over the weekend. I certainly was after our lunchtime game. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, I mean I go back a long way with Marine. Uh, I, I reported on them for the Crosby Herald uh, way back in the uh, the nineteen eighties when Rowley Howard was uh, one of the most famous window cleaners in the country. The the long serving Marine manager. So you know, so a great deal uh, of of love for Marine Football Club, and it was just like. The great draw. I mean, the greatest gulf ever seen in the FA Cup between two sides. We knew there was going to be a massive golfing class. And uh, I'm just delighted the game went the way it did. I mean, Tottenham did show Marine uh, absolute respect. Uh, they named a very, very strong starting lineup. Um, obviously, no Harry Kane, but, you know, so plenty of quality in there. And Marine did great uh, to keep the game as tight and as compact as they did for 20-odd minutes. And then the moments that absolutely nobody was expecting... Uh, the young lad, like, so letting fly from 30 yards and, you know, so hitting the crossbar. Imagine if that had gone in. Um, it was, it was just, it, it was a good day all round. I mean, uh, Spurs got through as we totally expected, but Marine came out of it with, you know, so absolute, you know, so respect and reputation enhanced. And it's just a great advert uh, for Crosby as a whole. I mean, the BBC package was tremendous. Uh, the Roger McGough, uh, you know, so poetry beforehand and the clips of, uh, you know, so and Gormley's Iron Men. Just everything about it was wonderful. Gary Lineker, Ian Wright, Alan Shearer all spoke glowingly about the occasion. Uh, it was great to see Ricey with his Marine hat on. Uh, so, yeah, just everything about uh, the afternoon went went great. I mean, maybe if you're really nitpicking, you know, so if Marine could have maybe snatched, snatched a goal somewhere, that would have just put the absolute gloss on it. But no, no complaints whatsoever. It was what the FA Cup is genuinely or was genuinely all about, a proper romantic tie. Uh, loved it. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. So, yeah, it ended the weekend on a high for me. Uh, it was. It was just uh, a great bit of sporting, you know, sort of romanticism brought real. Bees, as Breno says there, it's really good to see one of our local non-league teams getting the, the amount of coverage that they did. And, you know, of course, selling 30,000 virtual match tickets as well is going to be a huge benefit to them financially, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a, obviously it's a, we talk about what a real difficult time it is for everyone in football. Well, it certainly is in non-league football because they're not even playing, are they, at the moment? So, you know, like you say, to a time when grassroots sports is is um, in lockdown and um, there's no sort of revenue streams coming in for them. Yeah, it was it's, it's a massive. It wasn't just like a massive publicity stunt, but yeah, important financial boost for them through the. 25,000 plus um, virtual tickets they, they, they sold for the game. I mean, they did a great job of just generating. There was also going to be a great deal of interest in the tie anyway. But like you said, I think they did a particularly good job of getting in the, the message out there. And everyone's just been talking about Marine. I mean, more so for us because obviously they're on Merseyside anyway. But I think the it sort of really captured the country's interest. And as Gary Lundke said himself today on Twitter, um, that they got a decent um, TV audience for it, um, between five to six million watching prime time Sunday evening and BBC One. Um, yeah, because the, the FA Cup has taken a bit of a battle in, in, in recent years, reputation wise. It's not the competition it was, certainly when Dave was growing up, or even when I was growing up. I mean, you and Connor are a slightly younger generation. And I think it's sort of it's a turn, really. I mean, people talk, point the finger at Manchester United not defending the trophy. and 2000 and then I, I think the importance of Champions League places over domestic cups sort of tilted the balance as well but yeah it's sort of like a throwback to that sort of like the days of those romantic third round ties of yesteryear mm. I don't know about you Connor but I was nearly I was off the couch nearly nearly celebrating in my back garden when that uh, when that 30 yard strike came off the bar <laughs> I wasn't quite in off the couch just just I was more <laughs> Uh, laid back, but no, I think I think it was just it captured the imagination, didn't it? Of, of you know of everyone that that moment, you know the the, the run, you know the, the way let's fly, and you know the Joe Hart seemingly just thinking that it, it's going nowhere, and then all of a sudden you know panicked into pushing the ball over the over the net. But I think I think what what this what this did do, I think with the FA Cup is it kind of put it back into that public spotlight in terms of you know. It gives hope to the team, non-league teams out there who you know will have watched Marina and, and they they can now dare to dream. I think that's the big thing as well because I think you know Bees is right what he says. You know it's, it's tougher on league teams at the minute. Obviously, it does not for some leagues it might they might not play again. I think this year, this season I'll talk about Cattail in the league already. So I think you know for many of them probably looking at next year's FA Cup competition they'll be, they'll be sat there thinking well this gives us hope that we can achieve that. I mean a, a, a little you know story that no one. Means they've actually watched Marina in a pre-season friendly yeah. against in the summer. I seen it in the pub afterwards as the pubs were open, and you know they got Chester Mullers Marina that day four 0 He's never ever in a million years thought that they'd go on and play Tottenham um, the way they the way they have done. So I think it just gives hope to so many teams that it can be achieved. And you know, okay, Marina never got the win, but I think Marina's already won just by drawing Tottenham, Tottenham in the third round. That was more than enough for them, and it was their cup final and. You know, I, I suppose the only deal down for is he was a lot of hardcore Marine fans who probably missed out on the chance of an absolute lifetime. That'll probably never ever come again. Well, that was a an upbeat way to end the weekend, Prano. But of course, the weekend started with Everton's <coughs> FA Cup game against Rotherham. Uh, we were talking on the podcast last last week, and you were saying uh, that you thought it was going to be a close affair. You mentioned that Rotherham hadn't really been battered by any sort of teams, despite their position in the Championship. And that kind of came to fruition, didn't it? You know, Rotherham gave a really good account to themselves. Uh, yeah, although I think I predicted a 2-0 win in the end, so it was even closer <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. Um, I'll, I'll try and be as positive as possible because 
Last season, undoubtedly the worst moment for me of the entire campaign was the third round of the FA Cup. I'm not going to go into what happened because we all know what happened. So it was uh, an improvement on that. You know, so FA Cup ties are all about the results. Uh, very, very often you'll play badly, but you'll get through. When we won the FA Cup last in 1995, we got absolutely battered away at Bristol City in the fourth round and yet went on to win it. Sometimes the result is all. And uh, that was what it was about on Saturday. But that doesn't hide the fact that it was oh, it was an awful performance. Uh, there were so many poor performances from individuals uh, in that game, which makes you worry about, uh, you know, sort of elements for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, so, so many individuals just weren't at it and weren't performing particularly well. But there were like so flashes of, of positivity as well. James Rodriguez, despite starting badly for you know so a long time, grew into it and grew into it as the game got better. And eventually it was his little, you know, some gilding of class, if you like, that opened up the Rotherham defence for Abdullah Decore for the winner. Um, you know, so a couple of great finishes, you know, so Anthony Gordon, you know, so created the opening goal, you know, so really brightly. But all in all, there wasn't a great deal uh, to endear itself to us, really, other than the result. And so, all right, it, it was poor. You know, so Carlo will have learned again a bit more about the players that we saw that day. Uh, but bottom line is we won. We got the results. We're in the draw. Just bring on Chorley. <laughs> That's what we want now. Got <laughs> Chorley in the fourth round, please. Do you agree with that, please? Do you think Carlo will be too bothered about the performance in a game like that? Or do you think it is just about the results, get into the next round and move on from there? Dave's right in that it is all about um, getting the, the result ultimately because, you know, one defeat and, and you're out. But yeah, it, it, it will be concerning. I was concerned when I saw the, the 12 noon kickoff because you're always thinking, you know, the fans aren't in there again, who again, I think has shown that when they did have the fans in for a time in December, that was a real boost for Everton. It gave them a real edge and they've sort of lost that since the fans went away, away again. So factor that in with the 12 noon kickoff. And now there's another one, of course, um, on Sunday with the Aston Villa game being put back from 5.30 uh, you know, on the Saturday evening to the early kickoff on Sunday. So they have to hope they're at the races for that early start. But yeah, you just it's all sort of um, came together to think, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be as difficult as that or as go, you know, going to extra time. But you just did wonder, I mean... And, I'm old enough to remember those various games in the 90s where Everton regularly get turned over by lower opposition. I mean, in between, you know, obviously that glorious cup win in 95, there were plenty of disappointing results back then. It was almost like a, a throwback to that where Everton had really laboured to, to, to victory. Um, afterwards, I know Duncan Ferguson said that the cup's a priority for Everton. And, and I think I think it has to be, you know, a, a team like Everton, um, you know, there's a lot of mid-range sort of... Um, mid-sized clubs, I should say, who really, you know, they, they just won't think about the, the league position. But for somebody like um, Everton, who is, you know, top six aspiring for top four, they've got they've got to look at this as a, as a realistic um, chance for, for, um, for silverware. They, they went um, close in the, in the League Cup and then obviously the disappointment against Manchester United. Uh, yeah, they, they, they'll want to sort of build from this. And um, whether it's Chorley or not in the, in the next round, I believe their manager's actually a, a Liverpool fan. He wants to go to Anfield, but... Uh, yeah, you get another de decent um, draw and uh, got, you know, every chance of going far in this competition, but they're going to have to improve. Mm. I mean, obviously, Connor, this game gave a number of squad players an opportunity to impress the manager. One of those being Cenk Tosin, of course, uh, making his first start since November 2019, I think it was, for Everton this weekend. Uh, got himself on the score sheet early on, got a goal disallowed late on in the 90 minutes as well, played the whole 
120, which I was actually quite surprised about. Uh, what did you make of his display? I, I, I just think it was typical Zeng Tosin, wasn't it? I think he, he, he tried hard in stages, faceted to see even other, you know, other parts. I think I just I, I don't think he's good enough, and I don't think he has. He, he doesn't look like he's got that kind of sharpness and that real, you know, attack and threat. And I think you know you look, he gets a goal, but then he kind of drifts out the game again, and then he drifts back in, then he drifts back out. And I, I, I think more, I think more, I think we spoke a couple weeks ago on this podcast, and you know that you look at the some of the results we had before Christmas, and then on Boxing Day in Sheffield United, and there's the sense of players were playing the way back into Carlo and Chelsea's thoughts, you know, Bernard, Gomez, Sigurdsson, that kind of come from nowhere and, and put themselves. I think the weekend. But if anything, players played themselves out to Carlo Ancelotti's thoughts because it was it was that poor. And I think Tosin didn't. I know he's probably he's gonna he's gonna probably start again on tomorrow night because of Carlo's injury. But I think if Carlo was fit, then I think Carlo's have no hesitation in in even putting Dom straight back in. Which for me, I think that says it all because I think that was a real chance for you know for Zenk to kind of put a marker down. You know, prove he can he, he can certainly throw span in the works and prove he can be competition for Carlo and. He didn't do that okay, he scored, but you know, we were playing lesser league opposition and he, he, he should have had more. I mean, the chance at the end where he, he goes through and he somehow stops, then starts again, then stops, and then in the end, you know, gets it took off his toe, just kind of sums, sums his Everton creed up, I think. And I think, yeah, I think he'll start tomorrow night because he's got no option but to, but I don't exactly think he's, he's played himself back into his manager's thoughts with that performance if Carlo's got a full squad to choose from moving forward. Mm. Of course, as Connor mentions there, Carlo Ancelotti confirmed in his pre-Wolves press conference that Dominic Calvert-Lewin suffered a little bit of a hamstring problem, so he'll be missing for the Wolves game tomorrow. Dave, uh, do you think that Tosin's, you know, well, of course he'll have done enough to start because, as Connor says, we've got no option but to start and really, but would you be confident with checking Tosin up front against Wolves? Tosin did... Exactly what we expected him to do, as we said, you know, prior to the match, he can finish, you know, so you give him opportunities and he will finish. But his all-round game, you know, so is lacking so many elements that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has. He doesn't have that aerial ability uh, when he's back to goal. And he certainly doesn't have the pace, you know, so to run away from defenders, although he's a little bit sharper than maybe we give him credit for. Um, personally, I don't think he's got a chance of playing tomorrow because he just looked absolutely destroyed at the end of the game. If you saw him when he collapsed against that advertising hoard and in time added on of extra time, you thought he wasn't going to get back to his feet again. Um, so I, I don't know whether he's going to be there, you know, so in time to be able to be fit enough. I mean, Richarlison is capable of playing, you know, so a central striking role. Richarlison's a doubt as well. Although, yeah, you know, Carlo qualified that by saying it's going to be a late call on him as well. Uh, so I think that, you know, so if Richarlison is fit, I personally would go with him down the middle and then we've got other options, you know, so in the wide areas. But Schenk would concern me, um, you know, so starting a game, just just given how, how knackered he looked <laughs> at the end of that game. Um, I mean, Carlo said afterwards, or, you know, in his press conference earlier, he said that, yes, we're not going to be as threatening, you know, so from crosses because Dominic's not there, but hopefully, you know, so balls played through mean that we're going to be, you know, sort of a little bit more threatening in that area. And to me, maybe reading between the lines a little bit, that hinted that, you know, he's looking at options other than Cheng Tosin. Um, normally, you know, I'd be okay with Cheng if he had like five or six games to prepare for it and recover and give the kind of performance that he gave at the weekend, which is if you give him opportunities, you know, so he'll do okay with them. 
Um, but I don't know, just, I, I was concerned because he did look like a man who clearly hadn't played for a long time and was suddenly asked to play, you know, best part of two hours. And it looked like he was absolutely, you know, sort of, you know, blown for tugs by the end. But we'll see. Obviously, they've done all the, uh, the scientific tests. They'll know if he's capable of going out there again and producing a performance. But not for the first time. It'll be a, a, a team sheet eagerly awaited uh, tomorrow night. Mm. Well, I mean, touch wood, Richarlison is fit, Dave, but we'll stick with you. Like, I mean, if, if Richarlison isn't fit, would you would that mean that you'd play Tosin regardless of his condition? Or would you maybe turn to either Ellis Sims, Gilfie Sigurdsson maybe playing up front? I mean, there's, there's oh, God. not really many options. <laughs> he, 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 he can play central striker we're, we're going back into the uh the, the walter smith days of playing steve watson as a center forward yeah. <laughs> or david unsworth i recall in an fa cup tie at newcastle where he scored an absolute blinder to be fair but then we also got battered for one um no i mean they really are absolute you know sort of emergency measures ellis sims no um i think that's asking far too much for such a young you know promising young kid who you know Scores goals, but you know, so as his under 23 coaches have said, there's so many other elements to his game that he needs to add to to be considered, you know, so regular for first team football. Um, so I think it would have to be Cheng Tosin, Gilfie Sigurdsson as a centre forward. Gosh, that fills me with a little bit of uh, dread. And, and you uh, might play there for Iceland at some point, yeah, possibly, possibly, you know, so um, I'm. Anthony Gordon, Anthony Gordon could possibly be the uh, you know so the best option of the lot, but even that would be a real emergency measure. So yeah, I think it would have to be Cheng Tosin, you know, so basically strapped up and you know so tied to his horse and sent out like El Cid to try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, it's a Johnny you know, King. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's uh, it underlines again, you know, so as we said before, you know, so how the squad is limited in numbers in, a nu in numerous areas and you know so why Carlo Ancelotti is still only just beginning really uh, in his attempts to patch up that squad and develop a squad capable of uh, you know so sort of challenging for Champions League places in the future the squad isn't capable of doing that at the moment when everybody's fit and everybody's raring it's well capable of beating most of the teams in the Premier League but when you suffer three or four significant absences which we are at the moment uh, those glaring deficiencies in the squad are laid bare. And so that's underlined again tomorrow at a game, you know, and a club where we've got a lot to prove because that, again, was one of the real low points of last season, that trip to Wolves. And so we really do need uh, to make a statement tomorrow. We're going to have to do it, you know, so with a, a patched up and threadbare squad, unfortunately. Mm. Of course, we've gone back to Tosin. We covered the press mm -hmm. conference together a bit earlier on. And as mm -hmm. mentioned, Carlo Ancelotti said that, you know, he admitted that Everton are probably going to be less effective in terms of crosses into the box. Do you think that does hint at the Carlo Ancelotti, you know, he needs to change Everton's whole build-up system and the whole dynamic, really, if they're playing Cheng Toten there rather than Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's changed a few times, hasn't it? And um, we've seen re recently, to be fair, haven't he? I mean, has Calvert-Lewin gone about five or six games without scoring now anyway? Um, and that sort of coincided Although a period they were doing well in at the start and they got those sequence of victories, you know, it was when they, they had the centre-backs playing in the full-back position. So that sort of wide supply line that he was getting sort of fizzled out anyway, that's coming back a bit now. And obviously Seamus Coleman's back last couple of games. Luca Dean came back at the weekend. So it's kind of ironic if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is out. But, I mean, Tosin does have a... An aerial presence, like Dave said, he certainly, you know, he can't be compared to someone like um, Calvert-Lewin in his, in his incredible leap. But, you know, I, I do recall him scoring a few headed goals 
for, for Everton. But yeah, it's, it's certainly not a like for like um, re- replacement, and um, it's going to have to be a, a massive improvement on that that Wolves game. I think it was actually mentioned in the pre-match like six months to the day or something since that infamous trip to to Molyneux at the, the height of her last summer. And that was like the real nadir, really, not just in terms of the. Um, the, the actual final scoreline on the day, because it could actually probably have been a bit worse. Um, but I think Ancelotti actually um, calling out his players in, in public there, not just their lack of quality, but their lack of application. I think he might have even used the word efforts possibly on, on the day. Um, yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a real low point. So, you know, it's going to have to obviously be uh, all change uh, t- tomorrow night because, you know, it's a tough um, couple of away fixtures coming up now. And, you know, the two trips to the West Midlands, um, Obviously, they've got a few extra hours now to prefer for Aston Miller the, the, the weekend. But, you know, it's a, it, it could really sort of shape where, where Everton are at in quite a, a closely fought um, table in a couple of weeks once um, they've come out of those two games. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Connor Beezer brought me nicely onto Luca Dean there. We saw him make his return against Rotherham at the weekend, which we were all uh, pretty surprised about, well ahead of schedule after his ankle injury. Uh, it's great to see him back on the pitch, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, you don't realise how much someone's so important to you and how much you know, you're relying on someone until he's not there. And although Ben Goffrey, you know, has done very well at left-back in a temporary measure, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't count for Luka Dean quality, especially going forwards. And, you know, we look at the amount of assists, He's created this year, how important he's been down that down that for down the left for Everton in there in attacking sense. He's been huge, and yeah, it was it was great to see because you, you think of when he when he was initially injured. I think everyone kind of feared the worst a little bit because of how bad it sounded, and you know everyone was kind of I think the club cautiously optimistic that he'd make a, a speedy recovery, but no one I don't think quite realised it'd be this speedy. And yeah, I mean I was I was totally shocked to be fair when when I seen that he he he'd started. I thought. You know, wow! And I know he only—he's he's 65 minutes, but I think he played, and, and then he, he was brought off. But you know, you imagine now that you know he, he'll be back in Carlos' thoughts for tomorrow night. Now moving forward, um, because like I say, I haven't missed him, and I do now. Don't think it it, it, it throws up an interesting question: what Carlos does as centre back, because he's now got you know Ben Godfrey, Mason Holgate, Michael Keane, and Yerry Mina effectively all competing for for two positions. But with, with Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman now back in the. In, in the in the back line, so it was great to see Luca Dean back on the pitch, and I think now it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Carlo does moving forward with his two centre backs because, I mean, like we've seen this year, I think he's he's favoured all four at some point. So it'll be interesting to see who he sticks with. As Pernell alluded to earlier, we'll be await legally. I think tomorrow night to see who gets the nod to play against Wolves. Dave, it was you know it was probably understandable to see Dean getting a little bit tired at the end of his sixty-five minutes. Probably didn't help the. Matt Sunday was probably Rotherham's yeah. best player. I think he looked absolutely quality bursting down that right flank on a number of occasions. But would you would you throw him straight in from the start again against Wolves? I mean, it's, I suppose it's got 
it's got to be really. Yeah, I, I think you've got to, but also you've got to do it on the understanding that you're not going to see the Lucas Dean that we saw, you know, sort of two months ago, charging up and down the flanks and spearing in, you know, sort of top quality crosses. He looked rusty. He looked, you know, sort of off his game a little bit, and that that's totally understandable. But he's such a good player that you need to allow him to play through that. And the only way that's going to happen is by playing him, you know, so frequently. Uh, the, the big plus for me really was seeing a, a fleeting glimpse of Nkunku again, um, you know, so when he came on and underlined everything that we've already seen. Defensively, there were one or two moments where crosses came in from his side that maybe shouldn't have done. But offensively, he was excellent again. Uh, he got forward really, really penetratingly, more so than Lucas Dean did, and uh, got some great balls in. Uh, so that was a nice little cameo. Um, and it's just good to see that, you know, he hasn't been forgotten. He is still, you know, so there on the periphery, you know, so able to come in on occasions. And maybe as Luca Dean, you know, so finds, you know, so his, his form and his fitness, we might see a little bit more of him. Although probably we won't. We'll probably see Ben Godfrey use his backup because he has proved so versatile and so capable of playing on both flanks. But yeah, Dean was uh, absolutely, you know, so sort of treat to see him back again. Yes, he wasn't the player that we'd seen, you know, so prior to the injury uh, for obvious reasons. But that player will come back fairly quickly. I'm confident. We need to allow him to do that. We need to put him straight back in there against Wolves. And you know, so if we get 75, 80 minutes this time, maybe uh, before he comes off, you know, so great, so be it. Mm. I think Connor raises a good point there, bees. You know, with Luca mm-hmm. Dean now coming back into the side, you know, Ben Godfrey's probably going to move back towards, you know, a sort of centre back role. Do you think Carlo knows what his best centre-back partnership is at the minute? Because he's got you know, four really good options there right now. Maybe not. We, we, we're, we're talking here, we've got, suddenly got this um, embarrassment of riches for the manager at um, centre-back and no one um, able to play centre-forward. What about Yeti Mina as an emergency number nine? That could, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be um, the old school approach. No, um, I, I think he's, he, he has got a, a dilemma there. It's interesting for him because... Godfrey came to the club with this reputation of being, albeit a ball playing centre back from his time at Norwich City. But it's a very different type of role. No? Um, they've mentioned um, David Unser sort of combined uh, you know, those different roles of centre back and full back, even midfielder at, at times. But they are very, very different. So he's gone from a position centre back, which is all about uh, the actual the, the positioning and, and reading the game, to the full back role, where it's all about being dynamic and athletic. and getting up and down the pitch and, he, and he's almost to be fair to me he's, he's looked like a natural in that respect and people have been um, rightly um very um praising of, 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 of his you know his, his athleticism and his engine but when he's playing centre-back it's a totally different sort of requirement needed for him so I'm not too sure whether maybe that's a good or a bad thing that Carlo doesn't necessarily know his best combination and how it does it, it it gives him options and it keeps all four players um, on on their toes. I mean, we keep hearing, obviously, uh, across the park, obviously, that all the, um, the issues there of them, no, no centre-back. So it's, it's good to be in a position where, you know, you have got four options who you can trust, who you think they're all got that quality to be a first-team regular if required, and then um, pick and choose them on an individual basis. And then you see at least two of them, um, Holgate and uh, Godfrey, have shown that, they, you know, they're more than capable of filling in, in the wide areas as well. Mm. I think looking particularly at this weekend, Connor, obviously there weren't many Everton players who had a very good performance, I don't think, against Rotherham. But I thought Yeri Mina coming off the bench, you know, he provided, you know, a good a good solid head and a bit of a bit of a defensive nous when he came on, didn't he? Yeah, I think it was it was the the better of Yeri the best of Yeri Mina. I think I think with Yeri Mina there's always there's always it's like two Yeri Minas. There's the one that's 
on it, you know, full throttle, head kicks and tackles everything. Then there's the one who, you know, lacks concentration, gets caught flat footed, and starts trying to do things that he, he simply can't do. And thankfully on Saturday, he, he came on and he was the, you know, the, the enemy who won everything, head kicks and tackles. And I think he actually probably settled everything down a lot when he came on. I think he gave them a little bit of, you know, a bit of calmness at the back and a little bit of, you know, composure because Everton, you know, the midfield was was, was was really bad, but all at the back, I think they were all over the show at times as well. They, you know, they, a lot of the time they, they, they were struggling to clear the lines and they couldn't really get out of the pitch and he kind of come on and, you know, kind of calms everyone down and brought a bit of, com- bit of calm and a bit of, you know, composure. So that that will have been interesting for Carl Ancelotti because I think, yeah, I mean, we've kind of seen him this season, he's kind of shows. A little bit of evidence to his game. If you, if you remember back to the Brighton game, it was probably his best performance for the club. But it was no looking back now. It was no real surprise because a couple of days later Ben Godfrey joined. So obviously he was aware that someone was coming in. You no, know, again the weekend he was on the bench. He comes on and he's, he's one of the best players. I think I think he's one of them players who perhaps needs a bit of a the wake up call, a kick up the backside, and to, to spark into life. But if he plays like that, I think you know I think he'll probably start tomorrow night. And I think. It, it, if he he'll probably start the weekends and it's a big two you no know, big two big two games for him now because he's got to he's got to shine he's got to impress because if he doesn't then I think you know he'll be back on the fringes looking looking in. Mm. I think it'd be remiss of us, Dave, not to talk about Everton's midfield at the weekend. You know, oh, we have to. Well, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. with all due respect to Rotherham, of course, you know, with Tom Davis and Andre Gomez playing in that game in a central partnership, you're expecting them to really dominate that kind of fixture and. You know, first maybe five ten minutes aside, he really didn't do that, did he? It was, it was a shocking performance uh, midfield wise, and you know from two players that we know can produce so much better. Um, Andre Gomez, especially, we know what quality he's got, and he had me shouting things I won't repeat here at the television screen because it, it was just so sloppy, <coughs> just like so poor from start to finish. And it does make you fear about, you know, so where what, what direction he's actually going in. Because we've said before, you know, the Andre Gomez that performed, you know, so prior to that appalling injury was so influential uh, and, and was so good. And, you know, so we all fell in love with him. And we just haven't really seen the same kind of player uh, since he's come back. And is that uh, an aspect of the injury? Is he still, you know, so recovering from it? We don't really know. To me, it looked a lot more like just complacency at the weekend. Uh, players weren't actually at it. They didn't have quite the tempo or the uh, I don't know, the urgency in their performances that they should have done. And once you start at a slow tempo, and once you lack that bit of urgency, it's very, very difficult to pick it up then as the game goes on. And that just seems to be the case. Everything we're like going through the motions a little bit. And we're very, very fortunate, you know, so not to, you know, so got, got hurt as a result. And yeah, the entire midfield unit was, was just sloppy. And um, when I said earlier about uh, Carlo Ancelotti learning things about his players, obviously he knows everything about the, uh, you know, the, the qualities that those players possess. But you also need to see characteristics from them and what they can produce in circumstances. And to be honest, you know, so nobody really covered themselves in glory in that respect. It looked like a complacent performance from too many individuals. And unfortunately, you have to say both of those midfield players came into that category. And it was, it, it was poor. It was very, very poor. And um, I'm worrying as well. Mm. I think the frustrating thing, Bees, for many Everton fans was just a lack of consistency because, you know, on Boxing Day, we saw Tom Davis put in a fantastic performance against Sheffield United in that defensive midfield position. We've seen mm. at times this season that Andre Gomez can fit in well to the midfield, but you know, without 
Allen there through injury and without Decore next to them. They just kind of fell back into their old habits almost of last season of just not being able to not being able to, you know, pick up the ball from the defence or you know, progress the ball forwards. And I think that was the frustrating thing, really, wasn't it? Yeah, like you say, um, Alan does offer offer a different dynamic in there, and that's obviously why um, it was such an important signing for Carlo Ancelotti. You, he, he, he clearly targeted that uh, area of the pitch. But yeah, there's certainly the, the shirts to be had there, and there's um, opportunities for them both to sort of nail down that um, position at, at the moment. And it is that frustrating. At least with, you know what you get with Tom. You're always going to get that wholehearted sort of um, performance from him. You know, you're, he's, he's always going to give it all. But like Dave said, since Andre Gomez came back from the injury, it was it was incredible how quickly he came back. So let's hope, you know, there are no sort of um, similarities here with, with Luca Dean, um, totally different type of player. But, you know, he did come back ahead of schedule. But we're talking almost a year now since he actually came back. So he should be up to speed now. And... Uh, he, like say, he was just such a, a a breath of fresh air when he when he first came into the squad and he was so, so popular. You could see that he, he used class and it was almost effortless. But those same sort of attributes now, he's he, he becoming a, a real concern. Certainly when 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 he he's he's not in possession at times, he almost looks um, clumsy and un, unaware of um, um, the situation around him when he's defending. He can be a liability in and around his own penalty area. And I keep saying for you know for all his class, for all his you know, understandable ability, which he, he clearly has, he has to be contributing more in the opposition fine third. Um, what does he actually bring if he's not um, feeding our, uh, the, the the forward players or uh, you know pick, picking a pass, which he's obviously got in, in his locker? I, I don't quite understand what what it is because it can't like i said nearly a year on it can't just be a rustiness or a a, a lack of um fitness because he, he wasn't the kind the player who depended on an incredible burst of pace anyway it was all about you know his, his intelligence and the ball so you know it, it is a big concern for me um i guess we can only sort of speculate what might happen when um the forgotten man jean-philippe gabamon finally becomes um available again because obviously he's another one who they spent big money on to to replace Idrissa gay so that again brings a new dynamic in there but as and when we'll be able to see him and not not just on the pitch but up to speed i mean we might be talking next season couldn't we to be honest mm. i mean connor i don't want to you know get ahead of myself at all but you know do, do you think in a sense that tom davis and andre gomez are playing for their futures in a way because Carlo Ancelotti's already shown that he's not scared to make, you know, important additions to that midfield area in Allen and Abdoulaye Decore. Do you think if these performances continue, then he's just going to think to himself, "Well, I still need to make, I still need to make more signings to improve that area." Yeah, absolutely. And I think I actually think in some respects they've been playing for the future since the start of the season, because I think we've seen in the summer when, when a you know when a manager goes out, the club go out and they, they buy two centre midfielders and a, a creative midfielder, you know, creative playmaker. As Evan did in the summer, that just sends a. I think that sends a message out straight away that you know <laughs> he wasn't satisfied with what he had in them areas and he wanted to improve and he wanted to improve fast because you know, like we've seen as well with the, the signs we made, we we signed ready-made players who can come in straight away. It wasn't. Or we've signed a couple of you know youngsters who were going to nurture and potentially bring on in a couple of years' time. These were players ready to go, and you know, I, I think. Carlo's not stupid, is he? I think he'll be sitting there now looking, thinking he needs to still have more and he'll look to have more. And I think if the right player becomes available, then I think, you know, Carlo and Schlossi and Martin Vans have no hesitation in signing them. And if that means 
Tom Davis and Andre Gomez four further down the you know the, the pecking order, then so be it. Because I think you know ultimately Carlos here to be successful and, and do a job for himself and make himself look good. And I don't think he's going to let anyone hold him back. And you know at the weekend the, the performances of of Tom Davis and Andre Gomez will hold Everton back because it wasn't good enough. And I think you know what you look at last year the performances weren't good enough and that's why Everton finished mid table and had a disastrous end to the campaign the way the way they did. So. Yeah, it's not been good enough, and I think they are playing for the futures. Um, I think Tom Davis probably more so than Andre Gomez because I think you know Gomez obviously he's got the injury, he's had the injury, and he's coming, he's still coming back, and maybe he's just done. He's probably got, so he's still got credit in the bank. I think in terms of where how long you know kind of Everton pursue with him and stick with him, but I think for Tom Davis now he's been around the, the first team a couple of years. He's, he's drifted in and out, and he continues to drift in and out. And you know, although he is still young, he's not. He's not a kid no more, and I think, you know, he's he's now being treated as as though he's a first team regular, first team player, and you know, unfortunately, with that comes the brutality of, of football. So I think they both are playing with the future, but Tom Davis probably more so than Andre Gomez, and I think, you know, I don't expect either of them to leave this month, but I think if things carry on the same and the way they have been this year, with performances being you know up and down. It will make for a very interesting summer next year because Everton and Carlo Ancelotti all want to improve the squad and kick on even further. And I don't think they'll be, they'll be carrying any passengers like we've seen in the past. Mm. What do you make of it, Dave? I mean, the performances like the weekend suggest to you that, you know, maybe not this month, but in the future, midfield is still a priority for Everton to try and improve. It is a huge priority, yeah. Um, you know, so when everybody is fit and available and we're seeing. You know, so a first choice midfield unit out, you know, the likes that, you know, so went to Tottenham on the opening day and performed so positively. You've got a fair degree of confidence, but the deficiencies in the squad depth, you know, sort of laid bare at times like now. And it's moments like this that you want to see players come in and absolutely stake a real claim and say, look, you know, you can't leave me out in future uh, because, you know, so I'm capable of doing what the players that you preferred, you know, to me are doing. And we haven't seen that. Like you said earlier, Tom Davis was great at Sheffield United, but then, you know, sort of suffered in the games after that. Andre Gomez, I can't remember the last, like, really positive performance that we actually saw from him. We've seen flashes occasionally late in the West Ham game, maybe, where he came on, you know, so and looked quite bright. But that's not enough, you know, so to convince Carlo Ancelotti that you, you know, have a long-term future at the football club, you've got to do it for three and four games in succession. And we're not seeing that. So it's still a learning curve for Carlo. You know, he's still finding out about the squad, but I think he's finding out the hard way. And uh, he's learning lessons that, you know, he won't be afraid to put into practice very, very quickly. And if that means, you know, so players like Gomez and Davis, you know, so falling by the wayside, well, they can't really complain that they haven't had an opportunity to convince the manager that they deserve, you know, so a long-term, you know, so go at it. Uh, so, yeah, we won't be seeing anything in January because the manager's already said that. Uh, but, you know, he will be looking to bring in more players in the summer. And, you know, the lesser spots are Gabamon apart. You know, so midfield does look like an area. You know, so we might well be looking to bring in, uh, you know, so one or two players. Um, yeah, and, you know, the players that will be left by the, the, you know, the wayside can't really complain about that. Mm. And just before we finish off, we'll have a little look ahead to the Wolves game. On Tuesday night, these and they played themselves this weekend. Of course, the Palace one nil in the FA Cup on Friday night. Obviously, they didn't get taken to extra time as Everton mm. did. Do you think that's going to be a, a factor at all in tomorrow's game? It, it could be, given the the, the quick um, turnaround. But I mean, it doesn't always 
work out like that. We thought maybe after the Manchester City game was um, postponed that that might help Everton uh, against West Ham United, and then ultimately it, um, it, it wasn't the case. Um, I'd just I'd just be concerned anyway because I think that they're a, you know they're a tough opponent who Everton have kind of struggled against in recent years. I know they they edged the three two victory, wasn't it, early in the start of last season against them at Goodison Park, but I think. Other than that, I mean, all the, well, even that was obviously a tough game. But yeah, they've been some really difficult uh, matches um, um, against Wolves. So yeah, I, said, I was just looking at these two fixtures together. Like I said earlier, that and the, the, the Villa game, they, you know, they are a couple of tricky ones coming, you know, in the same week. And you know, depending which way they go, is going to be a, a long way to shaping. I think, uh, however, and uh, shape up in the, the final position, or either give them the momentum to kick on for the rest of the season, or maybe thinking that they could fall by the wayside. Mm. I think Bees makes a good point there, Connor. That you know, Wolves are obviously a tough team, but do you think Everton's recent away form gives you confidence going into this game? Yeah, I think it does. And I think you know, ultimately, we're at that point now, aren't we? Where it just dep- it depends what Everton say enough. It's as simple as that, really, isn't it? I think you know, if it's if it's the, the team that turns up against like you know Leicester, Chelsea, Arsenal, then you know Everton have got a good chance of, of claiming all three points, let alone eight points. But if it's a team that ends up against West Ham or Rotherham or Leeds, then you know they they could get more three 0 again. Because and I think Wolves are I think Wolves are a little bit similar this year, aren't they? As, as well, like that. I think they've they've had some real mixed bag results. They've had some really good results mixed with some you know pr- pretty poor results for them. So yeah, I think it just it all depends on what Everton turn up. I think you know Everton are, in many respects this year Everton have been their own worst enemy. You know they they. they so I think it depends what Wolves, what, what Everton team turn up. But no, I think, and I think as well with, with Wolves, I think, you know, it wasn't that long ago that every Everton fan was kind of looking at Wolves as a bit of a benchmark for where, you know, Everton should be. I think, you know, I, I certainly remember the, the game a couple of years ago when they, they first come back into the Premier League at Goodison and, you know, they beat Mar- a Marco Silva team 3-1 at Goodison and, and convincingly beat Everton. And, you know, I kind of let Goodison that day think, of, you know, wow, I wish that's Everton that Everton needs to be. They were well-organised, fit, strong and, and they've made some really good summer additions that year coming into the Premier League. That's kind of false to think a little bit this year. I think they've kind of, you know, kind of maybe found the level and, and things have fizzled out a little bit. But I think in terms of, you know, what, what to expect from Everton, who knows? It just depends what Everton turn up. And if they uh, if they turn up, like we say, like the day before Christmas, there's no reason why they can't get, you know, all three points and pick up a convincing, convincing victory. Mm. And Dave, do you think it's got to be a similar approach from Everton? As they did in the Leicester game, you know, it's against a team who, at the start of the season, probably would have had similar ambitions to Everton, of course, just like Leicester. Everton went to Leicester and produced probably a pretty perfect away performance on that day. I mean, I suppose it's easier said than done to just just repeat that performance, but that's got to be the aim, surely, hasn't it? It should be, yeah. You know, a photo fit performance, so that would be great. And Leicester do have a, a fair number of similarities to Wolves in terms of the pace, you know, in the final third of the pitch. Molyneux is just one of those grounds where we've not really had, you know, so good experiences over the last few years. It's just one of those grounds where we, we don't seem to do quite well. Whereas Leicester, on the other hand, we have had some good experiences uh, in the not too distant past. Um, but yeah, a similar approach would be great. I mean, Wolves, what Connor said there about it, depending on what Everton turn up, you can say exactly the same thing about Wolves as well. I mean, they've had such a strange season this season, you know, whereby they've uh, looked great on a handful of occasions, but then just being abysmal in others. And it also depends on what Wolves turn up on the day. It's a really, really difficult one to predict this. Uh, you know, it, it could go either way. Uh, but, you know, 
it's got to be a huge improvement on Saturday, simple as that. And hopefully with different personnel out there, it will be. Um, but yeah, a photo fit performance of the get one we produced at Leicester or, or Sheffield United for that matter would be wonderful. Keep it tight, you know, so keep it nice and resilient at the back. Maybe not be quite as uh, as gung ho as we were earlier in the season, um, and hopefully rely on you know so somebody like Hammers or Richarlison should he be fit to play, producing a moment on magic that makes all the difference. Uh, but the attitude's got to be right from the start. It wasn't at the weekend, like I say. I think it was complacent uh, all the way through. You can't be complacent going to Wolves. Hopefully, if the attitude is spot on, the performance will be, and we can take it from there. Mm. Difficult to predict as this game might be. It's time for us all to yeah. try and predictions. Uh, Bees, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, given what happened at the weekend, I think it'd be very positive to say one all. <laughs> Right, one all draw. I think I'd say that to be honest. Uh, Connor, two one Everton. You've, you've, you've got to back the Blues, haven't you? You've got, you've got to back the Blues. Nice, Breno. Bees, I read my mind. Uh, I, I was going to go for one one before uh, before he even opened his mouth. Um, I just see, I see it being two teams who are you know so sort of both capable of being good or bad on the day. Uh, you know, so hopefully we see a better Everton performance. But could we keep a clean sheet? Maybe, maybe not. No, I'm, I'm going to stick with 1-1. One, one. And uh, a little moment of magic from Hamas creating the goal. Mm. I'm going to go with 1-0. And I, I I agree with you. Know, I think Hamas is going to is going to prove his critic wrong that he's had recently about his physical levels and whatever. And he's going to produce produce a stunning goal to win it. <laughs> I like it. 30-yard screen. Right, lads. Great chat. Thank you very much for joining me and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from and you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search for the Royal Blue Podcast on those platforms as well. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.